what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck that no longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. We just, he's sitting right here in front of us <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table fuck. in this house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're just, fuck We were just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client we'd look after and then we find out he hasn't find been paid out he the hasn't bill. Been paying us. the bed. He's doing it right now, so we, <laughs> we may as well tell people that if they're in Australia and you need dog gear. Don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. There you go. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right, on to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine suticles. Yep. The best canine suticles. Premium grade. Yep. Human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. It's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes. In Canada. In Canada. Yes. Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. What were we pushing for him? It's puppy class. Puppy class. Yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara DeGroote. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love She just Barbara. loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that literally is the things called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We appreciate Thank you, Barbara. you. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound dog boxes. Yeah. yeah. The box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an We have. Since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did you pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally he it's does it. Deal. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well, like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club. South Club, Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's got there. It's a there. great facility. Get yes. in, check it out. He does all the, all the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. You yeah, know? he's got some cool artwork yeah, and stuff there. Check yeah. it out for yeah, sure. It's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We've got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have too. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. So yep. if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, check it out. So Taylor they Canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. So thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. 
If you would like to be an advertiser, <laughs> do reach out to us. <laughs> Shut up, you bullfed. So I know that on Patreon and we appreciate people just putting money in there. That's wonderful. Yes. But we do have to limit how many people we have. And so get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser. And that you align with our ethos as well. Of that, course. That's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yes. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing Has it. Has that gone through yet? No, because still trying. Got shit <laughs> Dan Croft, puppy classes, yep. cool facility. Barbara DeGroot. Amazing sugar mama, lover from the heart dog training. George Kittridge. Rowdy hound dog boxes. Daniel Tropiano, Tropino. Dog clubs. Troppy Daniel. <laughs> Dog clubs. Australia. Yeah. And new to the family, tailored canines. Yeah. All the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah. Mo- do. Mostly from the United States. One from Oz. Well done. Well played. Thank you, sirs and madam. Check them out. They support us. You yeah. should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook, and partially Australian now. <laughs> For as long as <laughs> he's been here a month and he's got another one to go. Cam Ford, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. How Have you, you been sir? here a month already? Look at my empty watch here, but yeah. yeah, next week I'll be here a month. And you got another one to go. Another one to go. Oh my God. Yeah. You're partially months. Australian now. Yeah. Mm. I'm learning the lingo for sure. Yeah. Like tuna. Yeah. What oh, do you guys say? Tuna. Tuna fish. Yeah. Tuna fish. And oh, nor. Uh, what's a, uh, <laughs> you haven't got that right. right. <laughs> <laughs> that needs work. All right. Nor, I, I mean, I get it. You know, or, <laughs> as we talked about yesterday. Yeah, no. Yeah, nah. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah nah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nah. I did that naturally before I even came to Australia because Natalie would always tell me that you always go, yeah, yeah, no. And I'm like, and then I learned it was Australian. So I'm like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. That's how we let people down easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah nah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've just finished up seminar here. Yes. Three days. Yes. How was it? It was good. It was a lot of fun. It was a new format that I've been using now since I started teaching with Michael. Mm-hmm where he kind of encouraged me for two things. One, not use a PowerPoint as often or as much detail in the PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Sure. Create talking points and then do a lot more discussion. So yeah. that's kind of how I've, you know, kind of changed some things. I also let the audience be interactive so mm-hmm. they get to pick topics and then we go from there. And then I only do the lecture for part of the day. Then the other day, the other half of the day is working dogs that kind of matched those lecture points. Mm-hmm. So that was super fun very informative, I think, for people to then to have that connection mentally to see me talk about it and then go watch dogs do some of it, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how it goes out. But yeah, so that was a lot of fun and working a variety of different dogs. There was a dog I hadn't seen in person before, which was a water leak detection dog. That was super fun to watch. The dog literally detects water, mm. specific water. It's the water in like taps and, and hose and things like that. But it's super cool to see. I mean, we know everything has some type of odor, but to go water, Mm. you know, so that was super cool to watch that. And then going from the full spectrum of dogs and nose work all the way to the dogs that work prisons around here in Australia. So a lot of fun, a lot of diversity, a lot of different sharing of people having the same problems. That was the thing I shared. I didn't care if you came from sport or professional we all share a lot of the same issues. What are those issues that you see the most? The one holding the leash. 
Yeah. <laughs> the human side of it is where, but in that human part of it, the specifics of criteria, mm -hmm. mechanics, and timing mm -hmm. are your biggest culprits for a lot of misunderstanding of the dog, which is those behaviors that the dog learns. There's multiple things that receive reinforcement and they can kind of gamble or look for certain other pieces that connect. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, I'll try this one this time. I'll try that one. Mm. And then the handler or trainer may or may not catch the why that happened. So when we, when I break it down in the lecture, I break it down into very specific sectors so we can kind of peel back the onion layer by layer mm -hmm. and go, is it this? Okay. No, it's not. Is it this? Yes, it is. It's that. Okay. Now let's work on that separately. And then we'll bring that back into detection later on. A lot of times we want to fix it in the problem mm -hmm. or where it's happening in that moment. And that's not the place because there's too many variables at play mm -hmm. that may confuse me or the dog as to what caused what I saw yeah. as a perceived issue. There was a moment a while ago, which I spoke about to an NDTF group that I was teaching about, because when we were doing the assessment with them, a few of the students came in and they showed us a bizarre compilation of what the exercise was. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, who showed you that? And they said, oh, one of the instructors. And I said, there's no way that instructor would have taught you like that. There is no way because I taught that instructor. And that instructor read the book and has repeated it back to me multiple times and even shown me how to do that. There's no way that instructor could have shown that you had to do that way. I said, in fact, I'm so confident that they wouldn't have done it. I'm going to call them in the room now. I'm going to ask them the questions. I'm going to have them repeat it back to me or even show me with a dog, which I did. Called the instructor in. I said, could you please demonstrate to me how to compulsively put a dog in a drop? They showed me the exercise. I said, fantastic. Exactly. Could you please induce for me how to put a dog into a stand position? Went ahead, did the exercise, textbook-like. And I said, if that instructor knows this way, how is it that three of you have got it so wrong? And I said, you're coaching each other, aren't you? And they go, yeah, we are. We've got a little Facebook group and we were starting to coach each other. And I said, the reason I know that is years ago I was at jujitsu and my coach gave us an exercise to do. And I didn't understand entirely what he said or the complexity of what he wanted to do. And I went ahead with my rolling partner and I started to teach him because he didn't understand it either. So I portrayed what I understood at the time. So I went ahead, did the exercise and we were going ahead and doing it. My coach walked over and he kicked me like he just tapped me on the bum and he goes, hey, what are you doing? And I said, what you told me to do. And he goes, that's not what I told you to do. What I told you to do was this. He said, you have somehow thrown in something else to it and turned it into something else. And he said, Glenn, here's the problem with what you're going to do. This is like a virus in the room now. He said, you and your rolling partner will do this. And he said, the next couple that come over, you'll try and convince the person what they're doing is wrong. And so will he to the other person and so on and so on. And before you know it, what I've told you is proper jujitsu. You will take it and modify it to something completely different. And I thought about that. I thought that is incredible how that actually happens and how that happens in dog training as well. Like mm. to all of the people that we're working with and we're coaching and so forth, if they understand something in their mentality and they go away and try and communicate it with their dog, I think this is why we start to see people modulating things so frequently and getting it so wrong and having such a bad relationship with their dogs because, number one, they don't understand it to start with. They rarely reach out to try and find someone until it's all fucked up. And when it's all fucked up, then they finally think, oh, this is no good, the dog's no good, or 
hopefully they reach out to a trainer and saying, what am I doing wrong? I need those second set of eyes right here, right now. It's a weird phenomenon. My hope for people, as I said to the student group back then, is rather than wait so long, why not reach out early? Like if you don't understand it and it feels different or you can see other people doing it differently, why not shorten the gap and say, this is where I need to interject. I need someone to come in and coach me right and get me right on the track now. Mm. It goes to that saying, a little knowledge is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The problem is, you know, that's a bit of a knife that cuts both ways because we're always got to pass on what we have, right? Yeah. Like it's a relay race. Mm. And it's that kind of knowing like, yeah, I get it and I'm ready to teach it versus I think I get it, but you don't. That's the problem, right? Yeah. That I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it needs to be verified. There needs to be some sort of ratifying that you actually do know it. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like so long as you have access to the original source, you should use it. Yeah. Right? But eventually that access goes away. You're not on the course anymore. It's your time to teach it. You've been deemed competent, but your understanding of things has changed. You know, you it's one of the things for sure when you, know, you have a certain knowledge base, but then every time you put some new skill into there, it doesn't just plug in linearly or you don't put it at the front. You don't put it at the end. That new skill has to find a place. And that just like a dog pack, when you put in a new dog, it changes the structure of everything else. And that's one of the things that certainly I have struggled with myself and I've seen plenty of other people struggle with is like, no, I've got a really good system and it works great, right? Like start to finish, I know how to work this. And then you uncover some new piece of information and you go, okay, I see that to be true now. Mm -hmm. I can't ignore that anymore. I want to use that, but I can't just plug that into what I know. Right. Like yep. that, that doesn't have a space. So now I have to restructure what I know and I have to find a way to put that back in and yeah. continue doing what I have known to work. Mm-hmm. But this new thing that I also know to work, I have to find a place for that within my system. What you were saying then, don't ask me why, but for some reason at the moment, I'm obsessing about being coming a helicopter pilot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I won't ask why. Don't ask why. It's a long story. <laughs> But, the whirly birds. Yeah, but at the moment I've been catching up with a lot of study on on helicopters because uh-huh. I'm thinking about doing it. Okay. I just maybe it's a crisis. I don't know. Yeah, I'll introduce you to one of my closest friends I've been in the army with, who's been in more helicopter crashes than probably anybody, and has been the only survivor of multiple. Wow. And <laughs> so, way to motivate me. Yeah, well, I just will. I'll just let you know. Cool. So there's two different types of training helicopters that most people train in, and one. One is the Robinson R22 or R44, and the other one is the Cabri G2. Okay. And one of the guys that has been training all his life in a Robinson helicopters, he flies a lot of helicopters. He's a 10-year veteran pilot. He went into the Cabri G2, and the tail rotor spins clockwise instead of anti-clockwise on the others. Mm-hmm. And when he got in it, he was having real trouble, like with the pedaling system, and the guy who was his student – who mastered the G2 was teaching him this exercise. And he said, holy shit, you know, like I'm all over the place. I feel like a student. And he said, that's because you are. Mm. In this helicopter, you are a student. Mm. And he said, oh, man, the hats are totally reversed. I taught you how to fly helicopters. Now you're teaching me. And he goes, yeah, but that's how it's got to work. He Mm. said, just because you have proficiencies in this area you no longer are now. You are the student and yeah. I am your teacher. Yeah, and, for sure. and people in this dog world struggle with that a little bit. I've seen mentors and peers of other people really struggle when their student finds something that they have proficiency in and they have excelled in there and the old teacher 
somehow feels like that is a threat to me to mm. have that happen. And it's not. It's adding knowledge to somebody who's gone out on a different tangent, found a new set of skills and is willing to give them or trade them to you or sell them to you or whatever that is. But there is a lot of resistance sometimes when people do that. And even students are, are resistant to that, which I think is going to lead us into the topic that we want to talk about today. Mm. Glenn and I were having that conversation about how everybody, it doesn't matter the discipline that you do from pet training obedience to IPO, Schutzen, Ring, add whatever you want. We have respect, basically, but a high level of loyalty to who our kind of initial trainer was mm. in many cases. And it's because it's kind of like the it's, it was the inception of our way into the dog world. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, though, there is also the added piece of what I would probably say could be the manipulation of the trainer when they try to encircle the people that, that work with them and say, don't go to anywhere else. Stay with me. Do this. I can understand aspects of that, of course, because I also know that I don't want somebody jumping around from trainer to trainer and then coming back. And then, of course, I'm having to do a lot of extra explanation or yeah. problem solving, etc. But with that said, we do need to encourage students and people that we work with to go out and seek somebody else at a certain point in their training. Don't try to keep them locked into this group because there's just so many things we can learn from mm. other things. You know, a different perspective. Sometimes this is why I love traveling because I can go someplace and see something like just recently when I was in Switzerland, how they reinforced searching with the detection dogs. They will do things like while the dog is searching, bring them back to middle. So that dog returns back to them between their legs, lays down and they reward the dog. Let the dog kind of chill for a second and then they go back to searching again. Mm -hmm. That can be a great technique for a lot of different dog teams versus sometimes the mentality of I have to put an odor out to motivate the dog. Mm -hmm. Great example. Of that. I was like, huh. But we don't see that sometimes if we were locked into a world, just like we've talked about or you guys do with different training techniques in bite work or mm -hmm. obedience. They may learn something from a trainer really, really well, but another trainer may have a really good perspective on something that could be relative to that individual's dog or a friend of theirs dog. Yeah. Mm. So I just think it's important to, I love the loyalty. There's, there's respect in that if it's done properly. I also like it if trainers can encourage growth in their students by saying, hey, go here, go there. And I'm first to admit, I like when I have somebody who's willing to go to train with me all the time under certain conditions that they'll have that loyalty for lack of a better term. But at the same time, I do want them to go other places. I want them to learn because that's what I did. I never want anybody to feel like I felt like. So, for example, for me, the military is a institutionalized program, right? You're not allowed to go train with a bunch of civilians while you have a military dog. And the main purpose behind that is the continuity of training. They want the training to that way because military is plug and play. You know, as soon as I leave that that base, somebody else is going to come in and work that dog. Yeah. So the, the training can't deviate. Yeah. But at the same time, we need to go out and learn things. So I went through periods of my life where I was wanting to go out and go learn things. And when I was in Germany, I was going out with the German Polizei and learning stuff with them. And, you know, at certain points of uh, whatever would come up in training, I would throw out an idea that I had learned, let's say, from the Pulitzer. 
And, you know, I'd get shunned for coming up or, or saying those things because it was outside the military's organizational way of doing things. Fast forward to today, this is the same thing I see all the time in the police canine world is they create their tribe, whatever the tribe is. So the, the local area, the trainer they work with, whatever it is, and they stay really entrenched in that system. And those individuals who actually go, well, this isn't working for me or maybe not working for their dog. They want to go out and learn something new. And their appetite for that usually gets crushed if they're too vocal about it mm-hmm. or they go out and do it and come back. And, and then all of a sudden the dog works better. Yeah. And then now <laughs> you have an ego hit in some cases by the trainer who trained that dog that way. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to see more embracing of, hey, look, I don't know everything. I've tried the things I wanted to try. Your dog is giving us mixed results. So let's look at this together. Mm-hmm. And I need to put my ego aside if I'm that trainer and say, hey, let's see what you got. Let's see what you're thinking of. Hey, maybe I'll go with you and watch. We all know in this room, it's very hard for trainers to want to go to somebody else and sit there, especially when something works their way mm-hmm. that maybe got against the things I had believed at that at that time. Michael made a really good point because, of course, in the world right now, there's this huge argument of force-free versus balanced and all these different things. And he brought up a great point. There's truth on both sides of the equation. Both sides see a thing about the truth in their moments. You made the video about how the loudest people are the ones on the outer edges of that. Mm -hmm. In the middle is where a vast majority of people stay. Because the sides are so loud, the extreme sides, the vast group doesn't want to shift because then they get, they're get they afraid to be labeled. Now they're part of that vocal side, one side or the other. Mm. But if we can collectively or encourage, hey, here's where we're at right now. What can we do to go out and look at this and maybe get another set of eyes on this? I have to set my ego aside. I have to see what happens. Take that information in. Maybe some things aren't so good, so I'll throw those out, obviously. But there's something here I could probably work with. Mm. But it's hard when you've done something for so long a certain way. It's how do you change? And I was giving the example to the class. When I sit in your guys' cars over here, I'm sitting in the driver's side, but it's really your passenger side. My foot at times would act as if there's a brake or gas pedal there, and I'm sitting there. It was just a subconscious thing that was happening. When I've done something for so long to go and change something can be painful. Mm -hmm. I've learned, thanks to the special forces community, embrace that pain, embrace that uncomfortable side of things because I can probably improve or add a new tool to what I do because I was willing to be in that uncomfortable space, learn a new technique, get better at it. And as again, you know, the special forces community does embrace bringing in outside expertise because they know they're at this level. And you can kind of even piggyback off that. It's funny you say that because I was, as you're explaining then, I've never really taken on that mentality of like, no, this is the way and and I don't want to hear new information. Mm -hmm. And I joined the army when I was 19. I went straight into an SF unit and that's all I've ever known. I've never, Mm -hmm. I was never in the regular army. I don't know how any of that works. I don't know the indoctrination of that. Now don't get me wrong in SF, there's plenty of like indoctrination. Oh yeah. But it's a weird culture within there. We don't really acknowledge this very much. A good friend of mine, Matt, who I worked for for a while, he talks about it quite openly because he was sort of more involved in it than me. 
there's a real bullying culture in special forces. Yeah. Okay. And what it is, is that if you're not exceptional at what you do, not only are you just not exceptional at what you do, you're a terrible person mm. and I have to bully you until you leave, right? Yeah. Until you leave or you improve. One of two things has to happen. Yeah, one of those things has to happen. And it's really bad. People don't see it because the idea of the, the self as being like, you know, I'm many things right now. I'm a father. I'm a dog trainer. I'm a driver of a car. The self, the individual holds many parts, right? And you can isolate all of those and you can say, well, at the moment I'm a person on a podcast, right? I'm not a father at the moment. I'm this, but in the army, especially in SF, you are a fucking shooter. Like that's what you are. You might do other things in your life, but you do them like you're a shooter. How devastating. So there is nothing else. You Mm. are that and you are that 24 seven. And at any minute, like, especially if depending on what job you're in, right? Mm -hmm. Like your phone's on you at all the time. And at any minute you're getting called in to go and do stuff. And you know, like not to sort of like hoo-ha, but I have been the guy like in Navy SEALs, the movie, Mm -hmm. I was at work already, but I'm eating breakfast and then Everybody gets sent down to the grots. 40 minutes later, we're in lights and sirens to the airport. I'm on a private jet to Darwin, Mm -hmm. straight onto a Black Hawk into Timor on a one-way trip to Timor because someone got killed in the UN compound. We had to go and secure it with no idea when we're coming home. It's a one-way trip. There's only enough fuel to get there. You know, that kind of shit, right? Oh, yeah. So when you have that life, you are that and you are nothing else. The reason I bother explaining all of that is there's a lot of downsides to that, right? Mm -hmm. It's an extremely destructive, self-destructive often at times community if you're not exceptional at what you do, right? And what you find with most of the SF guys is there's very few of them who have ever really been bad at anything, right? Because they're the kind of people that we select for, as you know, right? Mm -hmm. And so- the pro of all of this is the adaptation is lightning fast. Yes. And and what happens is the moment you identify there's a hole in my system, you need that plugged right away yep. for multiple reasons. I'm a person that needs to do that, but also I cannot be found out, right? Like yeah. if I'm not good at this because the fucking, yep. the eyes will turn in on me and I will be bullied until I fix this or until I decide, fuck this, I can't handle it anymore and I'll leave because everyone's life depends on everybody else being competent at what they do. Like, and competent doesn't cut it, right? Like you need to be exceptional and I need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I say, if you say to me, this is the task I'm going to do, never do I need to check, right? Like that's what it needs to be is like, I can count on it. Mm-hmm. And and what gets drilled into you, you know, army wide is that like on a fire mission, if you're going to fire that mortar at five o'clock and I know there's a 30 second time of flight, I'm taken yeah. off ready to be on target with anticipation that you have fired that mortar. Cause I don't mm-hmm. know. I know it needs to be in the air and I'm taking off and I can't check on you. I can't mm-hmm. do any of that. So that's the kind of like, no, you are good at your job and I trust that you are. But yeah. if you feel at any point that you're not, you have to adapt fast. Yes. And that has just been drilled into me. It's not necessarily who I am naturally, but fucking hell, that was drilled into me over my 12 years in that unit. Yeah. So every time for me where I'm like, I've never really sat with, especially in dog training, sat within a rigid system very long mm-hmm. because I get into that system and I'm like, okay, sweet. Like, how does this work? I want to understand it as fully as I can. And then if I go like, okay, I think I understand this, where else can I put extra pieces in? Or exactly when I see someone doing something way 
better than me that I'm like, oh, well, I have to figure that out. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. I have to come to terms with this. I have to see like, why does that work? Especially if it's something that I would have thought doesn't work. You know, when I look at something, I never forget being at a open field day at a, a PSA Nationals in 2016 and watching a couple of people just do things that didn't really align, especially like using markers in ways that didn't align with what I understood mm-hmm, and things. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember thinking like, this is, this is stupidity. But then they have exceptional training and I'm like, okay, well, I have to come to terms with that. This is not stupidity. Yes. This is something that I don't understand. Mm. And I think I understand a lot, but I don't understand this. Mm. That's why I've always felt, and I feel quite strongly about like, yes, I you know use a Nipopo brand. I'm a Nipopo person. You know, I've taught all that, mm-hmm. but I don't ever want to be like, no, that's what you do. That's all yeah. you know. It's not your identity. No, no yeah. way. And I feel like dog training for me like most things, you can strip it back to first principles and you can be like, okay, everything else is the structure around the frame, right? Like what is the frame here? Correct. Like what are the truths that Mm -hmm. are true all the time and will always be? And there we have, you know, certain parts of classical conditioning and operant conditioning and and really understanding those at a deeper level and really understanding, you know, how does a dog think and and why would they respond to certain stimuluses and stuff like that, that is just – the truth Mm -hmm. that is going to be what it's going to be in a vacuum, whether no matter who labels it, no matter who observes it, that's how it's going to go down. And then that becomes the rigid structure from which there is no escape. But the clothes that you put on that scarecrow don't matter after that. Mm -hmm. Right. Then you just Mm -hmm. sort of start applying and you go, Hey, those ones work better. Right. These ones in this circumstance with this dog under these conditions, Mm -hmm. this is working better. Let's adapt and do that. And that's huge because If you look at any of the best in the world, whatever you want to call it, they always seek out a subject matter expert that you said like plugs a hole or they can say learning that will help me improve what I do. Mm -hmm. And that's dog training in so many ways. You started your journey here and you got to a point and either the dog or you as or the, the whole thing together reached a point where there had to have a change or there's a hole and what you currently did doesn't fix that. But by being able to reach out and look around and find something, a technique that could add to your skill set or improve where you're currently at should be encouraged, mm. you know, not discouraged. Discouraging things for the sake of we've always done it that way or discouraging things because it's a hit to the ego of who you might train or work with is the part that's the most frustrating for me. And, you know, I look at things like programs that are hypocritical about stuff like, oh, this is for the dog. But yet the system is so rigid, they're not adjusting for the other dogs. Mm-hmm. So how is this for the dog in one case? We, we built this whole program for dogs or betterment of dogs. And then the system doesn't adapt for the other dogs. So now we're totally being hypocritical about how this whole, you know, what we, what we do and how we started. So I want to always share people, don't be afraid, get out and learn. It's a journey and you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to make these mistakes you will be shunned by others who are extremely loyal to the system or your former mentor, trainer, whatever you want to do. Be willing to take those hits Mm. because my own journey, I didn't do the 20 years in anything. I didn't, you know, I did, I did more than 20 years as working dogs, but I worked within, like you said, the construct, I was working dogs. That was my framework. I was a cop. I worked in the military, private sector, you know, security force stuff. And then now as a business owner and all of those things, that wasn't the norm. I had friends that who stayed being a cop the full 20, 25 years. You know, they got the pensions now. They got all those things. 
but they also didn't get to go the journey I did, which worked for me, which was seeing the world, seeing all these different things, being exposed to more than just where I grew up in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to go out further and see, wow, that's why that happens versus, I mean, thank goodness. Yes. In some cases, the internet and the social media makes the world smaller for us, mm. but that's its own demon as well, yeah, yeah. because there's so much stuff. It's hard to tell what's the charlatan and what's the professional. Yeah. It creates a lot of insecurities. Oh, for sure. I mean, because everything that's shared is all perfect. This is one of the biggest things that Michael Ellis and I were talking about was being willing to show the things that aren't perfect. Show yourself with the errors. It's a vulnerability that people are not being exposed to on social media because social media largely is fake. It's literally addressing the perfect imagery rather than showing people what the vulnerability behind it is. Like how much a trainer has to struggle with their own dog or a client dog when they're actually going through. Pat and I spoke about this the other day. Dog training is a lot about like when we were kids, when we're doodling on pages to make that flip effect when when you're shaping your way through things. Sometimes you'll mess something up in that and it doesn't quite go to plan. Like one of them is out of sync with the other and it will – the picture will get developed, but not exactly how you wanted it to get done. And sometimes that happens in training. And I think what I've really appreciated from some of the best people I've learned from in any discipline, dog training, whatever it is, the people show me what happens when a mistake happens and I get to see the imperfections and I understand that person's not perfect. They're not trying to be perfect. What they are trying to do is develop better techniques of communication and for themselves and understanding and packaging it around a beautiful comprehension for all that are involved in it. And when that doesn't happen, that is a lie. That is a very big mistruth. And what you start to see a lot on social media and the preachings that are going on is a lot of confident incompetence, people that are very insecure in themselves. And the way that they portray what they're trying to do is more about a lot of insecurities coming into mm-hmm. it. And yeah, it's, a ton. it's really disappointing. Yeah, it's for sure. Again, I'm taking Michael Ellis. Why is he not controversial? Because he doesn't hang around on social media. He, he doesn't get himself involved in all these things. Yep. He doesn't. He, he doesn't, doesn't get in the chat groups. He's working. The, the man is working. He's, he's doing a, his he's thing. A, yeah. and he's happy if people come to him or if they go someplace else. Mm. He doesn't hold you to his brand or whatever, you know, if he would call it MES or whatever he would call it. But he's like, no, I'm part of your journey. Come here, work with me. I mean, you've experienced it. Other mm-hmm. ones have gone there. He doesn't try to lock you in. And I think because he's so freeing about one information, two, isn't trying to create people that only want to do it his way because he's always questioning himself, like, am I doing it the best way? Could I improve? We joked, we were talking about before Doc Hilliard got there. He goes, I'll spend 10 minutes with Doc and totally question my whole belief on on classical conditioning. (laughs) Well, I think on our couch conversations you and I have been having, one of the things that you revealed, which I kind of knew about Michael anyway, but it was furthering it, was when he sees something in other people that's limited or lacking in himself, he brings it in, like he pulls it in and he draws from that and he says to people, I love what you're doing, show it to me. He identifies talent and, and wants to adopt what they're doing better into his routine. And I think that most of the people who are sitting here on our journeys, we're trying to do that ourselves. Mm. You know, we're trying to encourage that. I think that's been the message that we've been trying to portray. You as a scent detection trainer and Pat and I in our different fields have been trying to expressly tell people, 
there is just no one way of doing it. Yes, there's a framework. I made reference to this the other day, like the chassis of a car or the frame of a car. You have to have framework. You have mm-hmm. to have something that's that's foundational that you're building on. But then you can get cosmetic and you can change that cosmetics several different times. And, you know, I've done this myself with dogs. Pat's done it with Remy. I'm sure you've done it with your oh, dogs. Man. And multiple trainers that I know have developed a system where we thought, oh, I like this for now, but now I don't like portions of it. Or sometimes I don't like all of it, so I'm going to layer in something else on top of it. Mm. And if you've got a good dog that you communicate with well and you're a decent trainer and your techniques are sound, your dog will adapt and modify to that. I mean, dogs are very malleable. They adapt. Oh, man. Uh, And that's one thing that I really love about dogs over people is their pathway of adaptation if they can see success behind it, especially for them. If they understand where their advantage lies, they think, why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I embrace this? Mm -hmm. Which I find limiting a lot of people because of the insecurities that we were talking about before. Like they kind of feel to themselves, and I've suffered from this. Many of us probably have from point at a time where you thought, I'm getting a lot of feedback from people where it feels good. Like it feels nice to feel this wanted and this loved. Mm -hmm. So I don't want this to go away. I don't want this nice feeling to go away. Mm -hmm. But I find that that remains when you're relevant because you keep adapting, you adapt to survive, you adapt because it's the right way to do it. And I really admire a lot of teachers that I've worked with and people that have inspired and motivated me that they've done that same sort of thing. They've looked at at further adaptation, not wildly. It's not to say that some things had to change so dramatic and they had to completely transform who they were or what they were doing. It's just that they are constantly looking to update when updates are required, not change for the sake of change. Mm one of the things I'm willing to do is there may be something that, Hey, it's not my preferred way of training X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. But if I see that it could work for the dog, I'll do it. I use your quote all the time as little as possible, but as much as necessary, Mm -hmm. because that is what is needed in that moment. If I want the dog to be successful, I may have to adjust and do it this way for whatever the period of time is to get to that goal. Mm. And what I love about dogs, which makes me always so passionate about them is how forgiving they are of us. Mm. Yep. All of our shortcomings, all of our horrible communication, all of our emotions, all of these things that they, they take in that we don't even really pay attention to, like not even 70% of it probably. And they still get it. They still work their way through it. They still learn despite all these horrible things that we do as far as like our our communication timing. And if you look back in the past, I know I can reflect this way. The way I trained dogs when I first started, I just did what was taught to me Mm -hmm. and it was heavier compulsion, you know, harder corrections, make the dog do the thing. Mm. If I could take that time machine back, you know, and I could take back those things, I absolutely would. But I also look at that as, as a valuable lesson to me to never forget that feeling, those experiences. So that way I don't even think about going that way again. Mm. I don't ever think about how just the military system back in the days was so archaic and how they communicated the dogs. Thank God these days, those things don't really exist anymore. There was that, the video, I forget who I was talking to. I think it was Alex actually, that movie Buck. Yep. And how Buck Brenneman talks about, he's a horse trainer and he talks about the initial ways horses were trained and how like brutal it was as far as their version of compulsion and things like that. And that inspired him to not want to do that because his own personal life experiences of being abused and all that. So it resonated deeply with him to find a better way. 
I was lucky in life. I didn't go through lots of abuse and stuff like that, but I definitely felt that even throughout my career, there's a better way to do this than what we were doing. There's a better way to communicate than what we were doing. I don't want to force or compel an animal to do something because of pressure in the sense of it borderlines. I'm making you do this for my will versus finding ways to use your will to motivate you to do this. Mm -hmm. And I can use signals to get there, but just the actual like almost physical force that was always taught. And I would see old school detection dog trainers. And I think we talked about this the other day too. Someone had asked, you know, well, don't you just correct them off of if they are alerted to something that they weren't supposed to just correct them off of that. I'm like, no, that's the last thing I would ever go do unless there was something in the dog's safety. I had to stop it from doing that. But I can recreate and go down to a very basic training setup and start communicating. This isn't going to get you anything, but this sure will. Yeah. And really break it down versus just trying to be a compulsive way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And corrections or some type of punitive action happens in life, no matter what it is, what species it is. We do things, you know, there's tons of examples you can do that. Oh, I don't want to do that again because that wasn't pleasant. And dogs learn these things too. Mm. Now we can control framework, like you talked about. Within this, this is what happened. But I don't have to force it. I don't have to like stick their finger in the electric socket to show them that it's going to shock them. If there's lessons we learn in life all by itself, that that wasn't fun, that wasn't enjoyable, or the stove is hot concept, you know, I don't need to go put my hand and go test. Oh yeah, that's hot as hell. But in old ways of doing things, We've tried to force them to like, see, don't do this, do what I want. Mm -hmm. And we've evolved so much in training. It's so amazing to see what really opened my eyes is working with the wild animals, mm. the things that none of the ways that I would communicate worked. All I could do was reinforce or the negative would be not rewarding. And there was a thing I was sharing with the group yesterday about errors in prediction of reward. And the error in prediction of reward actually increased dopamine, which then got the animal to work harder for something. And though the error was by accident, obviously the you know, bad timing or the reward wasn't there or whatever, it really helped the dog work in a lot of ways. Now, the flip side to that was for certain things, if this was repeated, this would also be devastating. You know, it would it would be a very much a contract violation to the animal. You know, I'm supposed to get reinforced for these things. You're not doing it anymore. Obviously, we start looking at extinction happening. But then there's like I shared with is also spontaneous recovery that happens, mm -hmm. too. And then that's another thing to look at. We just have to realize there's a lot of ways. And though I was brought up in this system, whatever it was, my first trainer taught me these things. There's a lot that can get out there. And it's so hard when I see social media, I had a post, one of our ads, I don't, I haven't controlled anymore. I have an IT person that puts ads out on Facebook and stuff like that. Someone made the comment of like, wow, you must be filtering comments because I don't see any negative comments from other trainers on here. <laughs> and I was laughing to myself. I'm like, that's so odd that that's the expectation, that the expectation is because I shared a methodology that there had to be people who had to get on there and say how horrible it was. Versus my mentality is there's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. I look at somebody else doing something else and I'm like, I may not do it that way, but damn, they're really good at it too. Mm -hmm. Like you said, like the watching certain things on the field, like would have done it that way, but they're really skilled at doing it or the type of dog they pick really is the type of dog for yeah. that kind of training. So yeah. it's interesting stuff. 
I'm working through something at the moment. I was going to try and do it as a podcast in a few weeks when I've really wrapped my own head around it, but I'll risk sounding like a fucking idiot. (laughs) And this is an incomplete thought at the moment. You ever heard of like the term, like a cultural moray, you know, like just what you do, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like you have these habits and rituals and they're a moray. Well, I found out only the other day that that's actually the origin of the word morality, morals, right? And so what was just normal, Mm -hmm. what everybody does, because culturally that's what we do, that's the origin of morality in that that's what's correct. Everyone's doing it. That's what's correct. And the problem with that is that your mores are not my mores. And so therefore your morality is not my morality. And when I was coming to understand this, it was a... it was actually a religious thing. And it, it was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the context I heard it in was mostly around like eating meat. And they were like, okay, cool. Like you want to be a vegetarian, that's fine when you live in the valleys and there's ways you can grow corn. But I live on the fucking mountain and on a sheer cliff. And so I'm a carnivore. I ate nothing but that because that's all that's available to me, right? So my mores are that and I respect the animal and I have all these, you know, blah, 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 right? And I've come to that and I'm totally fine with it. And within our group, it's quite moral to do. And in your group, it's immoral, but that's fine because on a planet a thousand years ago, we would never meet. And so we we would never have an issue of this. And so I think now, especially in dog training, we're so interconnected that applying your morality to somebody else's morality and what they do It's just not possible. And so what I was listening to was then sort of implying that really what we need to do is go to like a more consciousness of like, hey, are you aware of what you're doing? Have you made choices towards this? And that's what like really inspired me to think of this in terms of dog training is that we have so many disciplines in dog training, right? I'm happy to call myself it. I'll get my great big ego out now. And in some of them, I'm bordering an expert, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty good and I teach other people and I, I'm certainly not training world champions, but I'm getting people who are into it mm-hmm. to be better, you yeah, know, and, and that's my role. But there are parts of dog training that I haven't got a fucking clue about, right? Like even when you're saying, I've seen water detection dogs, I've seen them work, but yeah. how do you imprint that? How do you manage that? Like oh, it's doing my head in. and I'd hold my own in a conversation about it. Sure. But if you said to me, Pat, I need a water detection dog by the end of the year, I'd be like, fucking go somewhere else, man. <laughs> yeah. Like that ain't, that ain't me that's doing that. And similarly, there's so many aspects of dog training. There is the detection piece. And I, one of the reasons I keep, I'm sure I told you in the past, one of the reasons I try and stay out of the detection piece, because I fucking got blown up by an ID mm-hmm. that it would have been nice to know was there. Now, I'm not blaming the dog and I'm not blaming the handler, none sure. of that. But I don't like that stress upon me. Yep. And so I would rather teach, I, like if I'm going to work in the working dog space, I'd rather teach dogs that bite. And then if it turns out that I'm not very good at that, if for whatever reason, and there's a hole in my game, yep. the handler can pull out their gun and shoot someone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you prefer the certainty aspect yeah. in, in detection is probabilities. Well, yeah, it's that, but it's for me, it's like I've been at the pointy end of the failure. Yeah. So anyway, that's another sure. topic. But dog training space is so enormous. Now, if you said to me, Pat, I've got this sweet-ass Border Collie, best bloodlines ever, but we need you to teach it to get these 5,000 sheep into the thing over there, I'd be like, oh, I have a fucking clue. Yeah, like, I'm going to yeah. stand here and cause heaps of problems. I'm not going to help in this situation. <laughs> I'm going to walk this around with a rake in my hand and not know what to do. <laughs> yeah, this is – now, like, I understand that we're going to use some spatial pressure and I'm, the, the movement of the sheep is the reinforcer. And, I, like, I understand the basic principles of yeah. this kind of shit, but I'm not going to be There's able to do it. There's tons of technical You're pieces to it. You're a student in that area. Exactly. Again. I'm like back the guy to square with the helicopter. one. I'm yeah. back to square right. one. 
But the expert in that discipline has no business telling me yeah. how I should be doing the things that Correct. I'm an expert in. Yeah. And similarly, I don't expect to tell him because his mores are not my mores and therefore his morals are not my morals. Yeah. And what is appropriate, like exactly you say, get at the rake out, right? Now, yeah. like I've seen exactly, for people who don't know, that's a big part of that sort of thing is you use spatial pressure of the rake, right? Now, you imagine that you're teaching dogs to do just protection work and you get the rake out and yeah. you're like, and people will be like, what the fuck are you, you doing? doing? Yes. This makes zero sense. But that's week one, day one yeah, for at, them. in the mustering, herding space. Yeah, mustering herding, right? yeah. But for us, that's ridiculous. But maybe there is some sweet aspect well, to it that I've never figured out. What if you're doing a Mondio scene and you're all dressed as farmers? <laughs> but, but we often, I say to people, body block. You know what I mean? Like we use spatial pressure. We do yep. the same thing. But as the handler. There are similarities. Hand- there yeah. are convergences where we... We can be fields apart, but there'll be areas where we converge and then we separate again. Exactly. Which is why yeah. we relate to it. Yes. But then all of a sudden, it's only, like you said, at the surface level, these things are the same. Yeah. Pres- spatial pressure exists in exactly. all these different worlds. And there are principles of training that we use, which are very, very similar. Exactly. So that's yeah. what you really have to understand. And then, you know, when you get into the what's right and what's wrong... One of the things that's still fucking amazing to me is that humans just love to divide, right? Like, so probably when there were two, there was a man and a woman and they were like, fuck you, you're the opposite to me. Yeah. And then as we moved around the planet, we started looking a bit different. And so then people were like, well, you look differently to me. So we, there's a place we can divide. Eventually someone was born with blue eyes. So yep. then, okay, sweet. Now we can start dividing down those lines. And we just love to divide and divide. One of the things that I laugh about all the time is in the dog training space where we then go, okay, well, we as balanced trainers have fought for the right to have a voice and to maintain because we think it's right and all of this, but not you, Cam. I don't mm-hmm. like the way you, you do. It. I, don't, yes. <laughs> I don't like the way you use an e-collar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even though like, oh, I don't see any negative fallout of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, or, I just don't like the way you did it. I just don't like you and the way you do it. Right. So like the way that we just want to divide and divide and divide is just ridiculous. But you shared something because we're both into photography and videography and you shared it on a post. I was already seeing it and I was thinking the same thing that you said. So in the world of cameras, yeah. it was it's pretty much Sony versus Canon. Yeah. That's your big two right there. Hey, how and, do you exclude Nikon? I know, but they're just the smaller guy in the group, so they just don't get brought into the conversations <laughs> yeah, yeah. often. But what was so funny was people got so passionate about, oh, you're a Sony user or, yeah, you, or yeah. you're a Canon user. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I don't even know if I can talk to you right now because yeah. you don't even know the equipment. Yeah. I died laughing because I'm like, we can't help ourselves. Yeah. We have to tribe. Yeah. We have to say, like you said, this is our moray. This is what I am. Personally, I, I've just disliked that so much. I want to have the ability to look at these things and see it, try it and decide for myself what I like or don't like because it works for me or my objectives or goals in my life. Yeah. And or my dog's life in a but, certain case. But I think I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'll speak for myself. But I think my natural inclination is to tribe down. That's what I want to do. Sure. I want to be like, no, that's incorrect. I can't, I don't do that. Right. But there's a default for me. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, and I have to remember, oh no, don't be a dick. Right. Like fucking actually look at this, see what the outcomes are here. And this is one of the things, especially when we then, you know, when we're all dog trainers, but we can tribe down into so many different things. And the most obvious is that we can be balanced trainers and we can be force-free trainers. Right. But then we, even within them, we can separate and separate and separate. And sometimes after many separations, I have more in common with the people that are in a totally different tribe mm-hmm. than the ones that I'm being told are in my tribe, right? Yeah. And as I sort of put all that together, it's those mores of, you know, this is just how you do it. 
and it feels right to you and in your context and in your world, that's totally fine. Like you probably are correct, but I'm not in your context. Mm -hmm. I'm not in your world. Mm -hmm. And so what I need you to do is understand of me that I have thought this through. Right. Like, and I think that's what we as dog trainers have to do or anyone doing anything is look at it and go, Hey man, like I'm not doing this blindly. Right. I have a technique for this. And in this moment, I'm about to use a lot of pressure on this dog and it's not going to look like the dog enjoys it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not doing that for lack of not knowing another way, mm-hmm. right? If there were another way, I'd be into it. And yes, you might tell me that the correct way is is no pressure and to go back around. And I've done that. But what you don't know is I'm on the clock, right? This dog's got six weeks to get this or else he's, you know, getting the, gr- yeah, whatever. We can yeah. create all of it. I've got a pity that I'm working with at the moment. That's extreme, you know, like one of those, this is sort of an insight into how extreme the dog is is that I had the dog on a back tie. I've been working it for about 45 minutes. And so I clean the facility, all of that, sweep them, like, like vacuum them up at the end of the day. My nine-year-old Springer, who's like totally house trained and has never pissed in this place, when she smelt where this dog was on the back tie, immediately pissed where he was. Wow. Just of like, you are a being. And I, if you ever come back, I need you to know that I was here <laughs> and that I'm available. Because she's a mad yeah, flutter, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't know that... You get that, like the, the context behind oh, that, sure. right? Like, so the dog's off tap. It's an extreme dog and I've got to teach it how to out, right? Yeah. Because it's two and a half years old and it's now pigs and people, but never been taught yep. an out. So I'm loving this process, yeah. but I can tell you, me and that dog are having polite conversations because no amount of pressure is going to make it any faster, no. right? Like there's no amount of pressure. Anytime I put any pressure on that dog in regards to the outing, any chance of it completely disappears. I'm as close to a force-free trainer as possible. But the dog's still wearing his prong collar Mm -hmm. because he knows other things along the way. And along the way, I'm going to hold him accountable to those things. So in the moment, I'm a totally force-free trainer and we're going down the path of I'm getting this dog sick of having the ball. That's Mm -hmm. the plan is I'm getting to the point where the dog's like, fuck, I don't want this thing anymore. And I'm trading it for water, right? Not withholding the water, but the water's here. Like if you're going to drink, you're going to have to let go of this. I'm not choking you off. You're going to have to make that choice and you can have it straight back immediately after. But there's periods where I'm going to ask him to sit and there's periods where I'm going to ask him to do other things that he knows how to do. And so therefore we have the tools on to facilitate that. So I'm not one and I'm not the other. You know what I mean? I'm not a person that's going to use a bunch of compulsion on this dog. I'm not a person that's going to be completely force free. I'm a person that's going to look at it and with the skills that I have, and I'm certainly not saying I'm the best person to teach this dog an out. I'm not the best person in the world to do that, but I'm the one that we have access to. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And these things have made me even just the other night, I was just self-reflecting going, okay, being a voice even for the ideas of going out and doing something different or being the voice at times where my emotion of calling out the hypocrisy of something can feel good internally. Like, yes, you guys are being hypocritical or this, that, the other. Then I had to self-reflect and go, but when I do that, am I causing more of a problem? Mm. Am I driving that trench deeper because Maybe I'm saying things that everybody else was thinking, but they didn't want to say it, Mm -hmm. but I said it. And then it builds the resolve even further Mm. to one side or the other. And that's the tough part. That's like we talked about where Michael stays out of the fray. He really rarely gets involved and just kind of, you know, by being almost just like, I'm just doing this. Mm. This is the things I do. If you're willing to learn from them, learn from them. If not, no skin off his back. And for me, I don't know if it's because of the cop military upbringing where you feel internally there's a stand up for the people who are being held back or whatever. I think for me, that's kind of a lot of times I feel that and I want to protect that or give those stand up for them and give them a voice 
because I was in a position because now I can kind of thing. But then I have to look at it and go, but just because I can doesn't mean I should. Mm. And that's been an internal struggle for me as a trainer and then growing social media and having a voice. I'm not I'm not comfortable with the spotlight, to be honest. It's not something I seek. I don't want it. Business wise, you have to have it these days. You have to put your stuff out there. You have to put yourself out there. So despite it being super uncomfortable for me, I do it because it's the way I have to. And I embrace it. I think it's Mike Tyson that said, do what you hate, but do it like you love it. Mm. And I definitely do some of those things. I, it's not my thing, but I do it like I love it because it's needed in those times. And now certain things I do love. I, I hated videography. I hated doing dog training on video. I just dislike trying to share information that way because I didn't think it was a way to properly share information where the student could retain it as good as in person. And this is what Michael struggles with too. But today we live in the age we have to. Yeah. This is what we have to do. So I've embraced it. I now found a second hobby that ties into what I what I do work wise. As you and I both know, I've I've gone deep dive like just like you have in, the, yeah, in this yeah. world of tech and stuff like that. But I still have to check myself. I still have to reflect on is this the best approach or am I stoking the flames to one side or the other and keeping yeah. that divide stronger? I want to circle back to your discussion about Michael. There's a good quote in the industry in the world that says never meet your heroes. I haven't actually met Michael in person yet. And I'm a little intimidated too, I must say, because I aspire to be more like Michael, but I don't want to find out that there's a flaw to him (laughs) because in my mind, I've always held Michael up as the best of us because most people have come back to me and said, Michael's a saint. Like he is amazing. He'll be the first to tell you he's fully flawed too, though. But that's (laughs) that's why I admire him so much is because he has avoided all of the pitfalls of, well, put it this way. He's not a pretend cool guy. And that's what I've met people before where I have met people who I've hero worshipped in a little way and I've become despondent because I thought they're not that cool guy that you see on social media. It's not really, it's not truly them. That's all a persona. It's It's a shell of them selling something, but the person that you've met is not that cool guy. Yeah. But everything about Michael seems to be like that. You know, yeah. like I don't meet anybody who goes, oh, Michael's not like that. In fact, yeah. they say Michael's Michael. He doesn't yeah. have any pretenses. What he you stays see, authentic to who he is for sure. Yeah. Good, bad, or otherwise based on other anybody's opinion. He's happy to be doing what he's doing. His passion is training dogs and, and sharing education at, at, at its core value. But like you said, the part of him that hates the online, like he's a very traditional, he's a book reader. He's a in-person kind of connecting kind of thing. Mm. So social media and things like that are just aren't a natural way of interacting with people for him. But the plus side of what you're bringing up is he doesn't get brought into the fray. Mm. You know, he doesn't get pulled into these conversations. But even if it was, he did a radio interview a few months ago in regards to the e-collar ban that they were looking at doing it in San Francisco. And this could be something you guys could talk to him about more in person. I just know the, the surface of it, but it upset him because he wanted to go there to create a dialogue about the use of all kinds of tools. And though people may not agree with something, taking away the right to use a tool, especially when in some cases there's a betterment for the dog mm-hmm. than some other ways that we're hurting ourselves, but it turned into this huge fight. Yeah. I mean, I literally saw it bothered him greatly that it turned, it made the divide stronger. Yeah. 
So yeah. that's just kind of how he is. You said something a while ago on a much earlier episode we did where you were talking about this, the divide where you used your example of being the special forces, where you said you can be in a room full of alpha males who eat with each other, sleep with each other, will have each other's back, but you call them team A and team B and they'll try and kill each other. Yeah. Oh, and sure. that resonated with me. Like I still use that as a reference point when I'm talking to people about how pe- how divide can be created so easy. Yeah. I've always known it. You know, I know people get like that, but I realized you're 100% right. As yeah. soon as you call somebody team A and team B, you're the opposition. And I see it happen at work as well, yep. even between the different resorts. It's not that there is an unfriendliness or an unwillingness to cooperate. It's just that you're now in competition to each other because this resort's got to be viably beneficial, as does this one, as does that one. And each manager wants to stand out as the person who is being the most viable and getting the best ticks in all the boxes. Yeah. Therefore, you become in opposition to each other. Yeah. It doesn't mean they won't cooperate. It doesn't mean that they're mean-spirited people who hate each other, but it still creates the sense of I've got to be better than the other guy. We're hitting so many topics that are deeply personal and I'm trying to <laughs> relate it to the dog training component. But, you know, I've, as you know, Glenn, I've done a lot of work on myself since leading the army. And, Indeed. And one of the things that I learned about myself many years ago is I'm not competitive, but I am not competitive by choice. I have to be very careful not to become competitive because I'm hyper competitive and I actually don't like myself very much when I'm in competition with other people. And I'll use again, I'll use Matt as an example. One of my closest friends, we did this MEPS challenge, right? Where we wore those MyZone heart rate monitors for a month and you have to accumulate points and it's points for how fast your heart goes essentially. And it was a month to see who could get the most amount of points. And the loser had to get a tattoo <laughs> that said that they were out mepped. That's all it had to say, right? Like ridiculously. Now I'm covered in stupid tattoos. Like getting another tattoo, they, that's not a deterrent for me, right? Yeah. In fact, I would love to have that tattoo, right? <laughs> uh, I, in fact, I won, yeah. right? So I didn't get the tattoo. I, but I almost out of sympathy was going to get like a I won the MEP challenge tattoo, right? <laughs> Did Just he be- get the tattoo? Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. got it on his leg, that's, outmapped. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, really poorly written. Like, yep. even though Jane did it, and so it was done by a really capable tattooist, we intentionally, he wrote it and she just went over his writing, right? Nice. But I had to, in order to beat him, which I did convincingly, yeah. right, was make him my enemy. And he had to be a person that, like, I could not allow to win. It wasn't enough that I had to beat him, but I had to make sure that he couldn't win. He got crushed. Yeah. And three days out, he contacted me and was like, hey, I, I'm conceding defeat because I can't, like, he's like, I've done the math. You could, the most you could score is four points a minute. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I've done the maths. And even in the time that I have available to train, there's no way I can get the score to beat you. You're ahead of me. And I said to him, that sounds exactly like someone who's trying to lull me <laughs> into a false sense of security would say. So, Matt, I was out doing hill sprints till midnight the night that it ended. And I, like, demolished him so badly because I was like, no, you can't, you aren't beaten until I've looked at your fucking yeah. corpse on the yes, ground. correct, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and so I don't like that of myself. Mm-hmm. But- I think this is one of the things that a lot of people in dog training think that they're in competition with everybody else. You're in competition with yourself. And no, and that's it. And they're like, it's one thing to go into competition. And I'm a huge advocate of that. I, I encourage everybody to get into whatever the relevant sport of whatever you're into in dog training is. There, there's one. It doesn't matter what peculiar shit you like to do with the dog. There's other people who are measuring that and doing it against each other. 
And I do encourage everybody to go into competition, not in necessarily to compete against others, but to meet an objective standard, to have somebody else with a to clipboard. To validate what you've done training-wise exactly. or what you've gone through. Exactly. But to have somebody with a clipboard look at your training and go, you did good or you did bad, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to like worry about whether you beat someone else or not. But this is one of the things, again, to sort of go back to army days. I'm a terrible swimmer. I fucking hate swimming. I hate it. I was a commando. That's an amphibious special forces operator. And so I used to train heaps of swimming. I would swim all the time. And people like loads of guys who who were the good swimmers would be like, oh man, you're really into swimming. I'd be like, actually, I fucking hate it. I I hate this. But you did it like you loved it. I hate, yeah, that's right. I hate everything about this. But- when I had a parachute malfunction and fucking creamed in out to sea and had to swim for six hours, I was pretty grateful that yes. I had done a ton of swimming because I got lost over the horizon with another guy. We had to swim for six hours in the ocean, right? Yeah. So, like, those are things that I don't like doing it, but I had to because I knew that I would be measured against it. And every year in my old unit, you got to tread water for two minutes in all your gear and then swim 400 meters in less than 12 minutes in all your gear, right? Yep. And so that's like every year you know you got to do that. And there's no getting out of it. Mm-hmm. So you have to train adequately along the way to do it. And I feel the same way about a lot of dog sports stuff where – like the carjacking, for example, in, in Australia, and PSA, the carjacking is a huge pain in the ass to us. Like it's politically difficult. A lot of people say, I don't want a civil dog, right? Like I don't want a dog that bites hidden sleeves. I want a sport dog. It's like, fair enough, I understand all that, but it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. And there's there's actually a very strong reason for it because it's the nerves of the dog. Now, whether you want a civil dog or not, getting a dog in a car and getting it to defend it against someone in a hidden sleeve, that is much harder than you'd think. And lots of people are like, no, but I don't want to do it. I'm like, I get it. But what that is going to do is make sure that your dog is of a certain nerve strength so that later when he faces other difficulties, we know that he's not getting run off the field because he handled that carjacking, right? So like you have to understand that's why it's an objective test of the nerve of the dog. Whether you like the actual test and how it goes down and how difficult that is for politically and showing and training and all of that. That's the point. The point is that it's actually testing a thing that we, we haven't yet figured out a better way to test, right? And do it in a completely controlled and safe environment where nobody can get hurt. The dog can't get damaged. Everything's okay. And we can test the thing we need to test. That's why I feel so strongly about competition, but not being competing against others, but going in an objective test. But what I think is so many people in the dog training space think that they're in competition with with other people. Oh, yeah. And you're just not. Like, mm-hmm. you're just not. As a pet dog trainer, there is no shortage of people fucking up their pet dogs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's no shortage of people who are breeding shitty dogs that have got wafer-thin nerves yeah. and are going to cause problems in people's household, right? Like, always. You'll <laughs> never be out of business. There's, there's always no be something there. Yeah. And even in the working dog space, what you see is the people who are concerned about the level of competition of others – are the ones that are struggling for work. It's the people who are like, no, there's heaps of work. It's work for everybody everywhere. Yeah. And when someone says, I've only got enough money to go to one seminar, should I go to camp? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't save it up in case I do one. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That'll happen at another time and, and you'll save more money at another time. Yes, go see him. Yeah. Like that famine mindset of like, no, I need it for me. That is the original source fire that leads to then don't look at his system because if his system turns out to be better, then what actually drove that thought is that, oh, but I need your work. I need you now, whether that's financial, whether I need you to pay me, whether I need you to adore me, whether I need you to be a number in my cult, like whatever the fucking thing is, 
that's the fire that drives me to say, don't do it is that there's, it's an insecurity in that. Like sure. I need you here and it's a human condition. And like I say, I'm not immune to any of this. I have to fucking work all the time to overcome it, but I do that work, right? Oh. Like, and I, I've put in the introspection to understand that's who I am. That's who I am. But when I let my ego run, it fucking runs. Let me yep. tell you. Yep. And I have to be constantly <laughs> winding it back, winding it back. You hit exactly what I, I even had to do it recently for myself, because just like you, I'm not just competitive. I'm fucking crazy competitive internally. And on social media, I have to turn off certain feeds because all it does is stoke me to do, to get even more or to do more or to, or to bring up a certain point or I'm like, yeah, it derails I'm, you. It doesn't inspire yeah, you. I'm it, like, it's derailing you second. from your prophecy. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Cause I know I'm in competition with myself. I want to improve myself every day or improve how I am as an instructor or how I work my dogs. And when I would see whatever on social media, you know, I could put it in anything, but it was certain things that would tick me, you know, I'd go be like, mm, I want to talk about that. Or I want to share a different point of view to that. So then my brain starts going, well, I want to, and I'm like, wait a second, that's taking me off of what I was already doing, which is yeah. the message I had. But I'm just like everybody else. I'm just as human. I'm just as flawed. I have passion and that passion can be my enemy sometimes because of how I feel about something. Mm. So I have to check myself. Like you said, I got to slow it down, keep focusing on what I'm doing, how I'm teaching the people I'm engaged with when I go teach and, and work with their dogs. And one of the most freeing things for me personally as a dog handler going out there searching for, in this case, in my world was either bombs, drugs or guns and things like that. My first, I don't know how many, let's just say 15 years of my life was like, I have to beat the bad guy. I have to beat the bad guy. I have to read any little thing in my dog so I can call the alert and get in and get the drugs out or do whatever. Then I realized I'm never going to beat the drug game. It's <laughs> never going to go away. Yeah. And then added the political climate. They, they let them out anyway. Yeah. And, and then I realized and it took a spaniel to get me there is what it was. Because I became, I was with Malinois because just Malinois just also drive you to be like, yeah, yeah. My, I'm as intense as my dog is yeah. sometimes. I went and I got this little spaniel and this spaniel was getting it, but also making errors. And then I was like, what the fuck do I care? He's going to miss it sometimes. Oh, well, it'll be here the next you know week from now. And I just learned to love working him. Yeah. And whether we found the thing or not. I didn't care. I get to work with a dog, which is what I love doing. I get to watch him do great. I also get to watch him shit the bed, usually because of what I did. And I went, this is fun. And I could never look at him and be mad as opposed to a Malinois where I would get like more passionate. Like, mm. you know, I don't know. It's just that feeding off of each other. Yeah, the dog, yeah. Those dogs do where the Spain is like wagging his tail, looking at you all stupidly. And you're like, Fuck, I just love you. That's what's incredible. As my two favorite dogs, Miles and Spaniels, yeah, right? yeah. I've got one of each, <laughs> is that depending on the dogs, I mean, every dog's an individual, but when you look at it, when you get frustrated, so does your dog, right? Yeah. So does Amali. It's like, yeah. like oh, yeah. we're under pressure together and they go hard under that pressure, yes. like, like fucking this. You do that till spring, it's all over, man. Yeah. They crumble yeah. underneath yeah. you. Immediately, the moment you put some emotional weight on a springer, yeah. they can carry nothing emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. They have fucking fall to And pieces. they look at you like, What's wrong? Yeah. Have oh, I upset you? Yes. Like, oh my God, what have I done incorrectly? Can we just cuddle and make up? <laughs> Whereas don't, like my Mally's like, yeah. get back to work, motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. I'll bite you. That's yeah, exactly right. right. But Valerie looks at me like, have I done the wrong thing? Is yeah. this, are we still going to be able to cuddle? It steals your thunder of that emotion the moment. Can't have just, it. No. Yeah. Can't so have yeah, it. that changed me a lot. I want to circle back to something. Yeah. 
it reminds me of the phrase Heath Ledger said as the Joker in the, one of the Batman movies where he said, I'm just like a dog chasing a car. wouldn't know what to do when I caught up with it. Yep. What do you think? This sounds like a nefarious statement and it's not intended to be because I understand the controversy behind it. But what do you think all of the handlers around the world would do if they did catch all the bad guys and did lock them all up and did stop the drug trade and so forth? Do you think they would be happy with that outcome? It would leave them empty as far as I could think of. What's your purpose now? I know it's that, that's why I say it. I'm yeah, sorry to cut yeah, in yeah, on yeah. asking you the question and you answering it, but that sort of thing troubles my mind. There are things that circle around in my mind, like would you really be happy if you were trained to do that thing, you had that relationship with your dog, and all of a sudden tomorrow it ended? Of course. You know, like there's- We found all the things. You, you stopped bad guys doing bad things and fucking neighborhoods and communities up, but- then there's no need for you anymore. Like you're redundant. You've timed yourself out of a job. And and people would say, well, of course, Glenn, of course, that's what we want. Wouldn't you want to stop the drug trade and have all these people? But what happens if that really happens? Like what happens to you? Like you talked about your identity before. Yeah, well, it's it, gone. Have you seen the new Buzz Lightyear movie? I have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Flash. The Buzzly. Oh. Is there a second one? Or no, just the Buzz Lightyear oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Amazing. Yeah. Have yeah. you seen that, Ken? No, I haven't. Well, we, when we you live long Flash, enough to see yourself one. becoming the bad yeah, guy. that's exactly it. Yeah. He, yeah. Just, he was obsessed with the mission and the mission no longer existed. Yep. And so like the, actual, the Buzz Lightyear movie is incredible. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it's great. It's not in the Toy Story world, okay. right? So like Toy Story where Buzz was the present for the kid, yeah. the reason he was a present was because a movie came out that year that he was the main character of. Gotcha. And the Buzz Lightyear movie is that movie. Gotcha. And so it's not Toy Story at all. Buzz Lightyear is this character, is this space ranger. And sort of long story short, they get stuck on this planet and they're trying to escape and what is a four-minute – they're trying to get their light speed drive back to working. And what's a four-minute trip for him to loop mm-hmm. around the sun and come back to try and test in this prototype whether they've got the light speed drive working is four years for everyone on the ground. Uh, so he's gone for four minutes, comes back, it's four years later. They've built a new prototype and he tries again. Before too long, it's multi-generational on the planet, but it's only been a few weeks for him. And they don't want to leave anymore. They're like third generation. I was born here. I live on this planet. We're not trying to escape anymore. We Uh were a colony ship anyway. Like, let's colonize this planet and just live here. We've got all of our stuff. But he's like, no, we're fucking leaving. Because for him, it's been two weeks and he's obsessed with the mission. And they're like, we don't care anymore. We're just going to stay. And so- We created a world. We created a- Yeah, we're happy. We're happy. We're born here. And so the idea is that if you live long enough, you eventually see yourself become the villain. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens in the show. And that's the thing of like, you've got, he has this strong purpose that he just cannot let go of. Spoiler alert. If you want to watch the movie, yeah, be careful. Yeah. Pause now yeah. and fast forward every minute. But you know, Emperor Zorg in the Buzz I think that's him. It's him from the future has come back to still try and complete the mission. It's him having to even then literally fight himself but a version of him from the future that is still trying to get everybody off the planet when nobody wants to leave the planet. Yeah. And that's the whole point is that eventually if you don't, if you can't change, yeah. you get left behind and you'll yeah. be the villain that you were fighting. Yeah. And, and 
we see that in training. We see that in the dog space is that people who were once the difference, they were the light, yes. they were the change, yes. Yes. are no longer that. And they're the, they're the antagonist now. Yeah, they're stuck. And, and I think that we see that especially with, you know, a lot of people who, you know, in the force-free community who were the necessary change, who were the evidence that it works. Yeah. They, when, when people were just cranking dogs into the ground, there were people who were like, no, 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 you can fucking do this. Well, look, here's the evidence. It works. But now they're like, but this is the only way. And there's people like us who have come in and are like, oh, actually, I don't prescribe to either of you as gods. Yeah. Like, I don't see either of you as being the source of all knowledge. Yeah. I really like the way you do some stuff, and I really like the way that you do some stuff, and I'm going to pick and choose which ones work for me and which ones work for the dogs in front of me, and I'm going to reduce my fail to as little as possible because I'm not rigid in anybody's system. And they're like, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> we are it's we're not them on that the do it, though. It's their students. Usually their followers, yeah. That's the insidious side to all of this that really has bothered us. Yeah. Is the zealots that they create, which will die on oh, the hill for man. them. They just stand at the back and they don't say anything. They just go, oh, well, it is what it is, you know, yeah. like how can I control them? Well, you're the one that created them. Mm. You know, like, yes, they've still got their minds, but some of these people, the zealots that are created through this cultish mind and behaviour, they're becoming dangerous people. Like yeah. They've bypassed a normal, rational caring and enthusiastic person into somebody nefarious and insidious the way they behave. That's a really upsetting thing, I think, for many of us in this industry Mm -hmm. about how much of a savaging you can get from those people who feel that they're speaking on behalf of that actual person. Mm. It's terrible. Do you remember there's a post in our discussion group. It was when I can't even remember what the fucking thing was, but People were going after me online in some group. I can't remember what it was, but it was a force-free group. Going I remember ballistic. you and I talking about it, yes. Yeah, and yep. a bunch of people were commenting on it, and I put a post. I was like, hey, like, you do you. Don't fight for me. But just yeah, leave don't, it alone. Don't do that on my yeah. behalf. Like, you, I'm not telling you to do what you – you do whatever you fuck you want to do, mm-hmm. but if you think you're doing me a favour doing this, you're not because I don't give a fuck what these people have to yeah. say. Not only do I not care – I don't want to see it. And you're drawing attention to something that I just don't want to know anything about. So thank you. I appreciate the support, but it's not support. Just yeah. leave them be because it's not up to us to convince them. They have to figure that shit out for themselves. For and sure. many of them won't do that in this lifetime. They'll have to have another crack at it fucking next time. Like most of us, when you're a, a target, there's lots of people have said things about me in the past. And the only time that it truly hurts me is it's when somebody that I invest in as a yeah. as a peer, a mentor, or, or a close friend. Yeah. When that happens, then I realize something's gone wrong here for them to feel that they needed to do that instead of coming to me and saying, hey, we need to have a conversation. You and I need to riff about something because there's something that's bothering me. That has happened before where somebody has that I looked up to that I thought we were much closer teamed up with another group of people and it was a – It was an uncomfortable conversation I had to have with them. But nonetheless, I thought, what did I do to make myself so inapproachable that this person didn't feel safe speaking to me? And that's what the issue was, is they felt intimidated by coming and talking to me. They thought that that would be the worst possible scenario because I would leap all over them where I was also disappointed that they didn't give me the option to respond in the way that I was going to at the start. But that happens sometimes with people. 
But I think for most of us in this group, you're going to be the subject of people's conversation and sure their targets is. and so forth, and, and so be it. you got to take the pros or the cons, mate. We do this podcast that's afforded us both the opportunity to, like, you know, I go to the States on Thursday to teach a whole group of people. I'm going to make plenty of money doing exactly what I love to do, and yep. that wouldn't have happened without this podcast. Yep. And that's an incredible pro. My life is so much better because of this. But that pendulum fucking has to swing in the other direction. Oh, it's, oh yeah. It's a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? It's how I became a misinformed odor clown. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking That's about right. it the other day. <laughs> That's right. You are too. That's hey, right. I have to circle back on something with the Buzz Lightyear thing because I was with a group of people. There were kids in the group and there were adults in the group. And somebody asked me a question. I said, hang on. Meow, 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 meow. And the kids all looked at me like, what a fuckwit. And all the adults cracked up oh, because really? they'd seen Buzz Lightyear. Seen it, yeah. So I thought, oh, my God, I've wasted an incredible funny moment all the adults thought it was funny and the kids are looking at me like jerk off (laughs) (laughs) yeah i had a question for you cam yeah as someone that travels around teaching if you had a magic wand and you could just sort of give everybody this one piece of knowledge so that you never had to fucking go through it ever again what would be the one thing that you'd just be like all right everybody knows this and i never have to bring it up don't try to fix the problem that's happening in that moment go back to a more way you could isolate it. So mm-hmm. the, the, the way I share it is lower variables, lower criteria, address it that way, and then work your way back. Mm-hmm. Because so much of it happens when our gut instinct is to fix it and whatever's happening right there. Yeah. And that's not the moment to do it most times yeah. for an, any number of reasons. Yeah. Um, Identifying that that's the symptom, not the cause. Correct. Go back and fix the cause somewhere else. And that's the biggest thing that happens all the time. And it's from when I was doing bite work stuff all the time to now detection all the time. It is so much symptom chasing versus let's go fix the problem. Mm. You know, and I see that a lot on social media these days. Somebody will hop on there and say, this is happening. Mm. And then everybody's addressing the symptom. Very few are asking the question, well, have you identified the why? Mm. So, yeah, the advice I would give is don't fix it there. Go back to a simple variable, low criteria. Let's fix it here. Find and the then build it, And then you'll find that cause, obviously, mm. at, that, at that point. Because you can isolate things when there's low variables and low criteria. Mm. Only a few things to do. And then go, oh, there it is. The problem's way more identifiable that way. Mm. Now, this is where... We know we get paid to travel around and do things is to start helping people how to address that problem mm. and that now we're giving ideas and trying things at that point because every dog's so unique and different that we have to understand that this thing I may pick works for this dog. But the very next dog I work with that shows a very similar issue, that technique may not work with them. Mm. So that's a big one for me is bringing it down, taking it simple and diagnosing and then going forward, I, I share now all the time, you know, instead of being a canine trainer, master trainer, scientist, I love sharing the idea of being an engineer. Mm-hmm. You know, an engineer embraces, looks at things critically, embraces failure. Mm. I want to fail as many different ways until I can figure out the thing that works. And it was funny. I stole it from watching Mark Rober, the guy that- oh, did, I love yeah. Mark Rober. Yeah, yeah, we watched him at home. We're actually maybe doing something with him here soon. Oh, so, no shit. oh yeah, we're hoping. Um, but so I took the engineer mentality. I started sharing that. This was probably like a year ago. Then I teach in front of Bob Bailey in Arkansas and I have that on there. And then he's a slide or two later. But when I sat down with him and he later gave me his contact information, but he gave it to me on his, on his business card and it says animal behaving engineering. Yeah. I was like, holy crap. 
So it's something that he had already done probably for 50 years for all I know. Yeah. But engineering dog is what we really do as when we're doing it, we're trying things, we're figuring out what works. We understand that it, this may work this way for this thing, but there could be something else, an anomaly or a different animal. Yeah. And it's not going to do the thing again. So uh-huh. I go back to re-engineering again. Yeah. And that to me is now my passion is sharing to everybody, be a dog engineer, mm. try things, be willing to fail and then take those failures and go, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something new. But we have to do that by breaking it down into small steps. Mm. One of the guys from one of the particular government agencies who's I've helped him before. I think you have, he's listened to the podcast. He listened to the podcast all the time. He was at the seminar. He was chatting with me and he said, man, one of the really heartbreaking realizations that has come to me by listening to all you guys talking is how many dogs got washed out that didn't need to be. Oh, for sure. And I said, yeah, man, it is the way it is. And he said, well, it just goes to show that the governance that is residing over our jobs, it has really restricted a lot of good dogs that could have possibly been masters at this game. And he said, but we'll never know. And I said, well, that's unfortunately what happens when ego and insecurities are sitting in that chair. Yeah. I'm not attacking all people because I know that there are governances in place that they can't do it, but yeah. it's, it is difficult. That's the problem with all government department type work is that they have a, a TMP. It's really difficult to change. And you yep. got to teach everybody according to these guidelines and it should work. It'll work sufficiently. It definitely will be adequate. And then it's difficult to change those things. What I didn't realize was the the layers of difficulty yeah. in changing things, like how much it takes to change yeah. one paragraph yeah. in the book yeah. is like how many people it has to go through and yeah. how many paradigms have to shift yeah. for that one change to take place. Yeah. And that gets super frustrating when you have really good knowledge and you want to put it into the book because you want it to get it to everybody else. Yeah. But what it also stops is like the fucking good ideas fairy finding his way into the book and dummies putting stupid shit in the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is what would happen without all of that. So like, it's one of those things that it's not a great system, but it's the system that they have within government. And it's the same, you know, it's police and military. It's this country and others. It's everywhere. It's the same thing. And militaries have been like that since Spartans really. Yeah. Like it's been that, yeah, this is the way we do it. It's not the best way but it's the fucking sufficient way and I can teach it to lots of people and we can get everybody through it today and you'll be adequately prepared to do it correctly. And then if you want to be awesome at it, like do that in your own time. We're not changing the way that the textbook is written because you have the level of intelligence and base of understanding to make those changes. But the guy who takes over after you may not, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, it took me such a long time to come to terms with all that kind of shit. Yeah, I know you have educated me on that before and because I don't walk that ground and I don't understand the complexities behind it. And it is super frustrating for everybody underneath those people because maybe they don't understand yeah. the level of detail. It's big that picture as well. stuff. That's one of the funny things I was talking to some guys, like every year Australia does this giant exercise. Oh, not every year, every three years, Talisman Saber. It's huge. The whole Defence Force is involved in this. It's done with Americans and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And every time SF guys have to go to it, I remember that's actually where I had that parachute malfunction was on that. 
you pretty much do nothing, right? Like yep. it's a giant waste of your time. It's a huge, and you're just, as a shooter, as a, mm. as a digger, you're like, this is a fucking giant waste of my time. And I was talking to guys who were complaining about having to go to it. And I was like, yeah, but what you don't understand, this is not for you. Mm-hmm. This is for China to see you doing this. Mm-hmm. This is, you don't actually have to achieve anything. No. But what they need to see is that the resources who got their eyes on this need to see your unit cooperating as part of a giant force that's working with another giant force and things go as planned. That's all that needs to happen. Yep. Yep. And whether you actually get to kick any doors in or whether you just wander around in the bush for four days with no real objective, that's irrelevant because no one's looking at that level of detail. They're only looking at the big picture detail. And I didn't understand that. When I was a digger, I was like, that's bullshit. Yeah. Wasting my time. I'd have fucking nearly died and got lost out at sea. This is a huge waste of everybody's time time but what I didn't realize was the reason I got lost out at sea is because I jumped out of a shadow not a specter and we'd never done that before and Uh we proved that you could drop troops out of a shadow instead of a sorry not a specter a um Whatever fuck it was, right? Yeah. So like a different type of Hercules. I got yeah. dropped out of the, the kind that's not meant to drop people. Yep. And yes, this it went why. really bad. <laughs> but someone got to see in a pinch they can yeah. do that. And yeah. that's yep. why it was really important, right? Yeah, for um, sure. So that, and it took me so long to understand that shit. And that's for sure. It's the same like down to the minute details of how we train dogs within the system. Is like, no, you've got to do it this way because if you go under the bus tomorrow, mm-hmm. we can pull that book off the shelf and teach a guy who has no fucking idea what is going on. On, he can replace you and he mm. won't be as good as you. Yep. There's no way, but he will be adequate. He yep. will be sufficient. He uh, will get the uh, job yep. done. Correct. Yeah. And that's exactly how the administrators look at it. Yeah. You know, because they're, they're the ones that have to answer for, does this asset work? Yeah. And all it has to do is just work. Yeah, exactly. Does that work? Great. Just work. Yeah. And it's funny because you guys, you brought up about the dogs, you know, one of the toughest things with the government slash, you know, military or, or law enforcement, when it comes to dog selection, the type of dogs they pick are the dogs that have to handle their, their shitty training systems. Yeah. And when, because the dog has to be so resilient to those shitty training systems, it also means it's a pain in the ass and a lot of other things, but it's these type of dogs that can make it through that yeah. and survive. Yeah. And though we look at it as trainers is like, why would you pick that? Because you're going to deal with all these other headaches. It goes back to the point you just made. So the person who's not the dog handler, who's sitting in the chair, doesn't want to have to go keep returning dogs or answering the question of why we keep returning dogs because of X, Y, or Z. Mm. Give me a dog that can pull off that shelf, that can handle all the whatever we do. We've changed vendors, we change trainers, and the dog can survive through all of that change. Yeah. And then we'll and de-sex work. it and remove it from the breeding program. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's yours, Glenn? What's the thing that you would just magic wand into everyone's brain? Timing. Timing? Yeah, the critical aspect of timing. Mm. What Cam said before, I, I entirely agree with, but I think – how poor people are in timing really yeah, has sure. a carry on effect in a lot of things that they're actually doing. Mm-hmm. What about yours? Yeah. The hill I'm prepared to die on is signaling. I constantly find myself explaining to people, you are never not communicating with the dog. Right? Yeah. That yeah. hundred percent. The dog is always looking to you for information and you are always providing it. Especially when you've coached it to be that way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's even down to you accidentally the leash just went tight on the flat collar and yep. that, that has a function to the dog. Like, you know, the dog's in a sit, you accidentally pull the leash a bit tight, dog jumps up, starts m- making forward. And and then people punish the dog and it's like, no, that's the signal, right? Whenever that leash goes tight on the flat collar, there's something to pull to. So he's just choosing. I think that's that. far more important than what we're talking about in just five minutes. Like that's. Yeah. A, yeah, for sure. But yeah. that's the one thing I'd love to just sort of, if I could just explain to people 
and have them know that it fit that into however your system works is that you are never not communicating with the dog. And you, what you brought up is something that I shared that I learned from Dr. Helmut Reiser, which was conflict on purpose and conflict by accident. Mm. And a lot of those signals create conflict by accident, Mm -hmm. which is not helping the learning process, but conflict on purpose is designed to help the learning process. And exactly what you brought up was the example he gave was the person who's holding the dog, tells the dog to get in position dog does. And then they kick the sleeve out. Yeah. And as soon as they kick the sleeve, the dog goes right. And then they're like, no, no, you're making corrections and doing whatever. And he's like, that's conflict by accident. You are punishing this dog because you did this signal to your point. Yeah. And this is what happened. Do you know, some things seem so obvious, but they're hugely different. Like when I was at the seminar in that exact situation, he said something to someone that I have said a thousand times since, yeah. right? But I never, I didn't pick the words correctly. I used to say to people in that exact situation, just very slowly bend down and pick up that sleeve. But what he said, and it's the same thing, but it's just the, the sure. correct words to have people understand is stay below the threshold of the dog. Yep and pick up the sleeve. Now that doesn't have to be slow, right? That could be very fast. It's whatever it's going to be, but he's so better than I ever had conveyed to people the intent of what they're doing. I was just like really slowly. He's got 40 years on you of practicing that. (laughs) But like, that was one of the ones where, you know, you you kind of like, Oh yeah, I know stuff. I know heaps of shit. And then I was there, I was like, Oh, I don't know shit. Yeah. But I think that falls in the philosophy of give someone a fish and they eat for the day teach them the fish and eat for the rest of their life. And that sort of, those sort of statements, as you have pointed out, are now ones that resonate with you and all of the people that you teach therein. Like they know why they're doing it now rather than just thinking, oh, I don't know why I'm doing that. And I guess to add to what I said before, one of the other things that I really feel that needs to be done to be competent in this game is making sure that you are, teaching fisher people, mm. you know, like they actually do realize why I'm doing what I'm doing. They yeah, don't, for sure. Because then that's how you keep them in your system and you create that whole paradigm that we have been mm-hmm. diversing about before is that they don't know enough to be competent on their own. They need to be plugged into you all the time mm-hmm. because you never really, like if you're doing that intentionally, you know, to use that word that I used before, you are quite a nefarious person. Because what you're doing is teaching a person, without me, you're nobody. Yeah. What you should be doing is saying, if I die tomorrow, I want you to have all the information. Yeah. And it's what I've told staff here and I've told other people is you should know everything because if if I'm on my motorbike tomorrow and things go bad, which they possibly could – you need to know where the files are. You need to know how to look for it and you need to know what to do. You need to be my successor, not somebody who goes, now everything that he had is hidden behind a firewall and there's yeah. no hope of getting into it. That sort of thing is dangerous for our communities. And really, like you said it before, Pat, like if if I'm selling my information, well, it's rightfully yours. You know, like I'm giving it to you, I'm providing it for you, it's yours. That's one of the funniest things. You see that much, Kev, like where people sell their information and then get pissed when somebody else uses it. Oh, yeah. 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 Exactly. The second it came out of your fucking mouth, it's It's not yours anymore. Yeah. And whether they paid for it or not, Mm -hmm. like you can't begrudge someone for when you go, no, the correct way to do this is X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then when you see someone doing X, Y, and Z, be like, they fucking stole my idea. It's like, no, you taught them your idea, you dummy. It's funny. So there's a little backstory to Odor Pays. When I was working with Doc Hilliard and the military unit, this is like 
early during the Iraq Afghanistan wars. Anyway, they're teaching the dogs to go out and search because they learned presenting and all the old ways of doing bomb work was not good for that environment. So they had to have dogs work out in front of them. Mm-hmm. So they're coming up with paying on sniff, rewarding the dog for sniffing the target. Some of the guys just started saying, yeah, odor pays. When the dog gets to it, we're going to pay them. And that was, I just, it was just tongue in cheek, heard it, no big deal. Years later, a friend of mine, a guy named Tim Baird, he said it too. We were talking about nose work stuff. And he goes, yep, I teach them ladies odor pays. And I was like, yep, second time I've heard that. And it makes sense. So then I started regurgitating that stuff. He got a little one night drinking some moonshine was like, you know, I have a bone to pick kind of thing. And I laugh. I'm like, hey, if, if it does bother you, I'll change it. You know, I don't want you to, you know, we're friends. I don't want this to be a problem for you. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm just being sensitive about it because, you know, it's a term he's used. And I laugh because recently somebody else was advertising a product and they put odor pays on there. At first, I kind of looked at it. I was like. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, and then, then I was like, knock yourself out. You yeah, know, yeah. two things. One is it, it keeps pushing that saying out there. So whether it be the guys from the military, Tim, myself, others, it keeps pushing that, you know, and that's something that's important to remember when it's detection related things. But yeah, instinct was, oh, you're going to take the things that, you know, but then I said, what did I do? I got it from somebody else too. And then somebody probably the military guys heard some, maybe doc say it or somebody else yeah. say it. And, but it was funny is when you live in your own world, you kind of will think, like you said, until you put it out there, then once it's out there, people know it and use it. You know, yeah. we don't trademark. It's hard to trademark words or processes because especially dog training, so much of what we've taken is what we've learned from somebody else. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I can't think of anybody who invented from zero this whole entire thing. Yeah. It came from working with other animals. We've tried it with dogs. Then we then certain somebody puts their their spin on it and this, that. It's like trying to copyright spaghetti recipe. Yeah, yeah. The spaghetti recipes, you know, just because I put a little of this into it doesn't mean now that I I own the right to spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. There was a video this many years ago of me and all I was doing was loading a clicker with a puppy. Right. Yeah. And someone shared it somewhere and it said, Pat Stewart's never had an original idea in his life, Bart Shill or something like that. And I was like, like, I was just staring. I was like, Oh no, you've really offended me by saying that you train similarly to the person you learned to train from. Right. Like what a fucking ridiculous thing to say. (laughs) Exactly. Of course I'm copying what, that's exactly what I was trained to do. And I I remember thinking at the time, like you don't get it, but that's actually one of the highest compliments that I could be given that you see what I do and you equate it to what he does. Amazing. I couldn't ask for more. I'm on the right track. Thanks so much. It's true because I look at the big picture for me is anybody who I train, I want them to be better than me. Yeah, of course. My that's whole the point. goal. It's legacy. It's yeah. legacy creation. And and even what I don't even want to claim that I gave them all the things. I want to claim that I hopefully had an impact in a positive way to what they did. And they took some information I gave them and then added their own things to it. Totally. Or, or stacked somebody else's on top of it and said, because so much of the things I have, I have absolutely taken a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I, I still to this day, like when I sitting down with Michael, that was humbling in a sense going, you know, I had felt confident, but then I had him like review things. He's like, well, just change this. And, you know, he's super easy going about it. But like, look at this. And I'm like, man, that's right. I could do it this way. This could be better. And then being around somebody else, I'd be like, oh, I see how that person does that thing. I'm going to add that to my toolbox. And it goes to an example I share now all the time, which is, you know, when you're 20 years old and you go out and live on your own, 
all you have is that first toolbox you go buy from your local hardware store. It has got a hammer, screwdriver, you know, not much to basics. it. Basics. The complete basics. Mm. And you barely know how to use any of those things, but you can get some things done. But we all know that old man who lives in your neighborhood or your area that has that garage that is just <laughs> loaded with tools. The mecca of tools. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't even use probably 90% of them. But when you go to him with a specific problem, he's like, oh, hold on a second. I got Walks a tool over. for that. Yep. Opens that drawer up, takes the thing, blows the dust off and goes, here, use this. And that comes from those years yeah. of experience. And knowing that there's a tool there for that. I may use it frequently or it may be a very infrequent tool, but it's there and I've learned how to use it. And when the time comes, I can reach into that toolbox or that drawer or whatever and pull that particular tool out and go use it. Yeah. And for me, collecting those tools is just like that person who did. They saw something, they worked on something, they didn't have the tool for it. They eventually got out, found it, used it, learned how to use it. And this is where I joke around. I'm like, this is where your spouse goes, why are you keeping that thing? You're never going to use it again. You never know. Yeah, yeah. I might need to use it. So, And you forget that stuff too. Like we had a guy, Ralph, I don't know if you listened to the show, but from India, came over and just wanted to come to the club. And he did six months at Tar. He was a really good decoy. And he worked a couple of the dogs and he didn't do anything that I didn't know how to do, mm -hmm. but he did plenty of things that I hadn't thought of doing. Yeah. Cause they just, you know, you get in the routine. You're just yeah. like, ah, oh, this is what I do. Is this the guy that told me off of my handling? Yeah. <laughs> but he's a very good decoy. And he did, he brought out in, especially in one of the dogs, brought out something that I hadn't been able to bring out and just did something that I knew how to do, but hadn't thought of doing. Yeah. Like hadn't, it was, wasn't something that I thought of. And so that's when you're like, oh fuck, I do have that tool, but I forgot that I own yeah. it. Right. Yeah. And I forgot sure. that that's one of the things. Cause it's so easy to just get like complacent and be like, oh, well, this works on all these other dogs. It's going to work on this one eventually. And you forget that there's, you have other skill sets and it's a nonstop battle. Oh, you'll never, time. there's no end to that. Nope. That's sometimes the fun. Yeah. I love when all of a sudden I get thrown something it, I haven't seen before and I'm like, okay. Where Aren't we just talking this? about dopamine here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Probably. Oh yeah. What's been the thing in Australia that, you've been like, oh, really? This is gross. You Australians are fucking weird. Because you've been here long enough now and yeah. will be here long enough that it's not just like wave top touristy shit that you're doing. Sure. Isn't it just a staple Vegemite? Yeah, well, I was going to say the, the easy answer is Vegemite because that's just a thing. But I would say that, that people may not know is the way you guys do some of these meats, it's like it's soft. It's like ground. It's not what I would call ground beef like uh -huh. what we go with. But- like I got a burger, Alex took me to a place to get a burger, got a burger there. And it was like what I would call a sloppy Joe. Mm -hmm. It was just like super loose meat. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, fluke, whatever. A couple of days later, we go get a, a sausage roll. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking like hot dog style sausage. Mm -hmm. I bite into it, it's like sausage mash. Mm -hmm. And so my brain, it didn't taste bad, but my brain was like, the hell's wrong with this? Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's kind of, and I haven't experienced that so much in other countries. It was the way you guys do that. And then your chicken parm. Chicken parm is your thing, but it varies from place to place too. Yeah. Some are heavy cheese, heavy sauce, but, and then it's always on for the Americans listening, French fries for you guys is on chips and we're <laughs> well we're, played. Yeah. Where we're at, but they are different things. Yeah, like, they are. Chips are thicker. French yeah. fries are very thin. Then Okay. But that's how you guys put it in anything I had known before that it's always with spaghetti and some other, it's oh, Italian really? dish. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's completely Italian in the sense of 
when you go get and you, sh- you know, to try, especially if you're going to Chicago, ask for chicken parmesan. You're going to get like noodles, spaghetti, and then you'll have chicken parmesan on top of that. Yeah, right. And that'll freak you out. Essentially, like, why would I eat this with spaghetti? <laughs> this yeah, makes yeah. sense for me. Yeah. But that's so. The, I would say the the softer meats kind of thing is texture wise is mm-hmm. something that I was not used to. Like I said, it didn't taste bad. It was just different. Mm-hmm. And it, it took my brain. It's like when you go to eat something and you think it's this thing and then you put in your mouth and you're like, whoa, it's like veggie mites a perfect example. It looks like the Nutella. Yeah, yeah. And if someone bites into a toast and they think they're taking a bite of toast with Nutella on yeah, it. You're in for a shock. Yo, you're it's like salty good. yeast. <laughs> yeah. Do you know one of the things that I really that really struck me as difficult to cope with in America? Uh-huh. Coffee. Oh, okay. The coffee over there is like road tar. Uh, compared to we have like nice sort of yeah. French and, and Italian sort of coffees over here, even our, you know, like our little coffee makers with the pods and everything yeah, like yeah. that. Like they're really beautiful espressos. But when I went over there, like it's drip filtered coffee yeah. and it was just bizarre. I'd say, oh, I'd like a coffee, please. And you drink it. Go, oh, that's not coffee. It's just like road tar and water. That's it, one of my secret shames is how much I like American coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, these days, coffee in America is either iced or a milkshake. Yeah. Or, yeah, for you guys, it would definitely be. That's the other thing I learned. Thank you. Thank you. You just reminded me. So I order a milkshake. And in my mind, <laughs> this was what you guys call a thick shake. Mm-hmm. So I grab, I grab that milkshake thinking I want to have to suck hard the straw to get the milkshake up. Oh, no. Your shit is legit milk with a flavor to it. It shot up my, I, I <laughs> shot up my mouth into my nose. I was like, "This is like Nesquik, where we just put you know chocolate powder into milk, and we have a milkshake now." But then my friend goes, "Well, it is defined as what it is. It's a milkshake." And I was like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm thinking what you guys call a thick shake, which mm. is the ice cream version of mm. that." That was one of those shocking moments where it got my attention. I was like, okay, so I need to make sure when I'm ordering something, this is what it really means. It's been super fun to kind of being here longer, seeing a lot more of the cultural aspects of of over here, learning a little bit about footy and rugby, even though some call rugby footy, but then AFL is called footy. Yeah. Everything's footy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you guys do call soccer, soccer. So I was able to connect to that. Well, that's called football too. Yeah, yeah. Like over in UK, that's called football. For sure. That's mm-hmm. what I, so in Europe I was I was trying to be correct thinking you guys were like Europe and you call soccer football. See, they're offended like, no. by that because they say because I've spoke to people in the UK and they say you call AFL and rugby football, but you hardly fucking touch the feet. ball with your yeah. foot. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. always, you know, like you're bouncing the ball with your hands, whereas yeah. soccer, it's true and legit football. Yeah. Mm. And I said, Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Have you figured out the difference between rugby league and rugby union yet? Like culturally, do you know the difference? No, is? but I did see. I was commercials. I was watching called the. Um, it was state of the not state of the union. It was union state of, of state of origin. State of, state of origin. origin. Thank you. There yep. you go. And that was like Melbourne versus whoever the other one was in. It was like a maroon color. Yeah. So it's New South Wales versus Queensland. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So I knew it was rivalry. Yeah. And I know the big one. Like I was telling Pat, I or telling Glenn, I want to watch this. Um, I think it's on the 29th. It's where they have it's the Kiwis, the All Blacks yeah. versus. Which I found pretty funny. The wallabies. As the wallabies. I thought that's that's a really aggressive thing to have as a team. We're the wallabies. <laughs> so I was like, I would I could have thought of like cobras, we're the brown snakes, something that was like 
No, we're the cute color. You should call it the koalas. Yeah. Well, and South Africa's um, the Springboks. Spring so like uh, nobody goes <laughs> really especially tough it, names yeah. in them. Yeah, it's true. It's, where you go to the States and you're watching the American football, the NFL, and it's like Titans versus Giants. And we have all these really tough, aggressive names to, yeah, you know, yeah. to, to call a team. And then I, I had I got a kick out of seeing. You know, I knew who the All Blacks were. I mean, that's kind of become around the world kind of story. But the uh, when I saw the Wallabies, I kind of giggled. I was like, "Wow, they look so tough!" And they're all these big dudes. Like, we are the Wallabies. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, it's Pacific Islanders who live in Australia versus Pacific Islanders who live in New Zealand. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was a great comedian who said, "Nothing more American than baseball than a bunch of." people from the Caribbean playing baseball. Cause yeah, that's yeah. really what American baseball is now. Yeah. You're either from like Puerto Rico or some of the Dominican Republic, a lot of the Cuba, there's a lot of your big strong players as far as like really good in certain things now in baseball, which was, you know, derived as, Ooh, this is the American sport is now not even really dominated by anybody that would be culturally called an American anymore. It's these other really amazing athletes that came from other countries that have perfected our sport. And now we use them. They're just hungrier for it. They do. Oh, it's a totally, yeah, they, they're hungrier for it and they've built like brick shit houses. There was, um, so in the, state of origin that is New South Wales versus Queensland in rugby league. Okay. But the way that's determined is where you played in your junior league. Mm. So uh, where you played as a kid okay. is what you go into. So that's why they say it's uh. mate versus mate, states versus state. Cause it doesn't matter what team you play for now. Oh, okay. And there was a guy, Jared, I can't remember his last name. So he played in Jared one Haynes, of, wasn't it? No, nah, it wasn't Jared Haynes. It was someone else. It was quite a while ago, but so he was a Kiwi. So when you play Australia versus New Zealand, it's uh-huh. the country you're born in. Yes. But he was born in New Zealand, yeah. oh. but he played his junior footy here in New South Wales. So he played in the state of origin on, but then the Australian team yeah. is drawn from the two origin teams. Yeah. Right? Oh, wow. But so then he was out because like, no, you're not, you <laughs> can't not, be in yeah. the Australian team. You have to be in the you're Kiwi, Kiwi. You can't come yeah. play this. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for the football podcast. Yeah, we just got interesting too. Well, I also learned about the Ashes. That was a new thing I had oh, yeah. to learn what that was. And I guess you guys just won it yesterday or day before. I don't know. Today. I'm not yeah. a sports ball guy. Yeah, I just saw the news. Like the, I guess there was some kind of crazy thing. But learning, what you got, it's cricket, right? Yeah, cricket, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was another one. I was yeah, like, I'm helicopter guy now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. consistent and sweet helicopters. I tell you, I tell you another funny story. <laughs> a friend of mine. This is only kind of funny. I was in the army with him, and he decided he wanted to be a Black Hawk pilot, right? Yep. And so he didn't even finish high school, but super intelligent guy. But they're like, mate, there's no evidence that you can count and you got to do some pretty fucking intense physics here. So you got to go get a high school certificate. So whilst being a shooter is re-educating himself to the high school level to prove that he has the capacity to do that, jumps through all their hoops and they're like, sweet. Okay. We're off to do your, your pilot medical. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, sweet. I'm currently an SF. That'll be fine. And they're like, no, your femurs are too long. Right? Yeah. And That's so, a thing? Yeah, his femurs were too long to be a Blackhawk pilot. Oh, because he wouldn't fit in the cockpit properly? Yeah, and he's yeah. like, I've been in the cockpit of yeah. that. And they're like, well, now you're making us tell the truth here. Your femurs are too long for a Kiowa, which is what will teach you to fly in. Uh, and so you won't fit in the tiny little 
the learning helicopter. Right. But you will fit in the, the end game oh, helicopter man. so you can't play. And you ever look and join the uh, Navy because the Navy goes straight on to Seahawks. They don't have Kylos uh, to learn on. Yeah. So, yeah, really destroyed his life. Yeah, so you might want to get your femurs checked out, mate. Yep. Well, I don't think my femurs are in danger, but they do say in all the pilot training that you should get your physical done first because there was a guy who went all the way through, oh. yeah. got his physical at the end, and they said, no, you're not physically competent to be a pilot, and they canned it right there. Yeah, yeah With I know with jet pilots as well, like there's weird measurements. So yeah. like another friend of mine was too long in the body to be a jet pilot. So like, he, like he's a very normal looking guy, but when you sit down, they're like, no, you sit too tall. You won't mm. fit in the cockpit. Yep. <laughs> so get all that checked Crazy. out. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, so the pilot podcast is get your physical done before you go flying. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Cam, give us all your details. Wrap us up. What's how do sure. people get in touch with you? Give us all the plugs. I mean, yeah, the normal thing is the Ford K9 website. So just F O R D K number nine.com. Now we have it's become a lot more robust. So you get there's memberships there. They can get webinars there, online what videos. What platform do you have that through? The website, mm. everything's internal on the website. Yeah, but like if you've got membership areas and like yeah. you've got paywalls on the website, right? <laughs> yeah, so basically there's gold, silver, and, and bronze. Yeah. Gold is the one that you get the one-on-one monthly meetings and you get the webinars for free, two webinars for free every month. Silver gets two webinars for free every month. And then uh, the bronze is gets just like information and a little discount. Mm-hmm. Gold and silvers also get discounts on anything they buy through the website. So that's usually really helpful for there's a webinar coming out in a day or two that uh, Natalie's doing with another trainer. And that makes it already cheaper just to do that. Mm-hmm. Or if they decided not to do it, they wanted to wait. That means next month when that webinar is already in our system, they can get it for free as there are two monthly webinars they choose from. Yeah. So that's a really helpful platform to kind of help get people uh, into yeah. getting information that they can't normally get. And there's there's right now, I don't know, 15, 16 different webinars there. So it take you a little while to get through it. We've now added our Q&A sessions are now kind of like how you guys use Patreon. Yeah. Now, now it's just part of our membership. Mm-hmm. So you get the Q&As or the webinar you pick. But those things are all there in that platform. And then I've done lots of videos now mm-hmm. where I have Nathan Hall and Paola and other ones on there sharing the information. So out of curiosity, what like what host is that? Do you use Kajabi or what's the No, I you have to so Vimeo is where almost all our videos reside. Mm-hmm. And then those are funneled into the website. Oh, so you built that yourself. Yes, everything's yeah. completely built. So yeah, that's yeah. what I so like my this the course that I just took down that I stopped selling yeah. was just kind of jimmied together myself yeah yeah but i'm looking at with a new one like what platform i, 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 I will share some stuff with you when we get off air yeah, I'll, cool. I'll share with you that yeah and then the, outside of that just my typical social medias you know i'm not on the tiktok world right now i now have a social media person which i'll you know give you information on that too but facebook is just my name cameron ford and then or cameron ford canine and then instagram is just at cameron ford canine and i share content on there like obviously pretty close to every day but i i do teasers for videos my biggest thing now is youtube mm-hmm. is getting that up and there's hundreds of videos on there all for free nice. so yep well sir thanks for doing it it's been a fun Thank conversation you. it's good to yeah. see you as always as yeah, always absolutely. yes clint Anything to say? Looking forward to your hel- helicopter pilot lesson. Yeah. Yeah. First <laughs> first one. I'm going to book it in. All right. Sounds good. That's <laughs> it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Mm-hmm. Then go to one you don't download us from. Just put that in there anyway. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is Patreon. You can jump into there. A few bucks a month gets you this giant backlog of information and more stuff going forward. Yep. There's live streams once a month and all kinds of cool stuff that goes into there. I do have something to say. I would like to also thank Antonol Australia for everybody who came to Cam Seminar, got a show bag from Canine Evolution. 
And inside there, there was, they got notepads and pens and of course, but Antonol also gave them product as did Norel. Thank you to both Antonol Australia and to Caninecuticals for providing each attendee with a little sample to take away. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Where was it up to? Oh, spring. Spring. Get a t-shirt. Yeah, get one. I have to admit, it warms the cockles of my heart every time I go to an event and someone is wearing one of our shirts. Chris, who was, uh, he was on NDTF. He's uh, worked for Assistance Dogs Australia. Mm -hmm. He came to the Cam Ford wearing a white top with a canine paradigm. Always makes me happy. Makes me happy. I was really happy to see it. And I saw... The boys from the prisons wearing the Cam Ford tops. I thought I said, "You fucking suck ups." Yeah. <laughs> How yep. dare you not be wearing Canine Paradigm stuff to our Australian audience? <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is get on the mailing list. Yeah. Well, you can't contact us, but we will contact you. Yes. Get on the mailing list. Yes. We'll send an email at some point in our lives. Yeah, we will. But get on it. Get on it. Get yeah. on it. Click a link. There'll like, be a link. Like start collaborating, get on it, yeah. and start getting excited about being on it. Yeah, get all your emails on there. All of them. Yeah, make yeah. like six profiles in our list. And just if there's a box that says, can we spam you, to say yes. 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 Yeah. I want all the spam. Yeah, I want spam. Yeah. But we have so far sent zero emails. Yeah. I haven't actually even looked how to do yeah. that. All I did was set it up because I got freaked out that Facebook was going to go broke and disappear and we would have no way of telling people that there were new episodes That's coming Twitter. Yeah. Could be any of them yeah, any yeah. second, mate. Yeah. I'm terrified of it all going down. But just spam me in and around my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Or send us an email. We're yeah. info at the canine paradigm.com. Goodbye. <laughs>